0: Hey guys, welcome back to episode 47 of the podcast. I'm going to keep things pretty short and sweet here because it is a bit of a longer episode and if you are part of the tribe, you know that there's kind of a lot happening in my life right now. Unfortunately, Kurt's father passed away last week and it's been kind of an overwhelming time we're all together in minnesota and i'm so happy that we have each other and have an amazing support system it's just been you know a lot going on and i'm trying to prioritize everything and make sure that my heart is in the right place right now so thank you in advance if i've been a little bit checked out or not as engaged with things i'm with my family and just trying to embrace the time that i have with them and be as supportive as i possibly can so thank you thank you thank you but the pod must go on and I'm really happy to have today's episode I love Sonia from a couple cooks and she is actually half the team so it's just her Alex isn't on the show today but I thought it would keep things just a bit more straightforward just to have one of them but they do co-host a podcast together and they run a blog together so we chat about what it's like to do that and also some of the things that they've gone through together as a couple so we're going to be chatting about their new cookbook that's coming out, but I also wanted to take the chance to really get into Sonia's story and some of the things that she's gone through with miscarriages and cancer and adoption. And it's just been kind of a whirlwind couple of years for her. And I just feel like we have a lot to learn from her story and just her strength through it all. So I'm channeling some of her strength today in my own life. And I hope that this episode can be inspiring to you and know that even when things are challenging, there is always a positive light to look towards and to hold on to. So So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Make sure you stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear who's coming up next week and also just a few notes. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's jump in. Here's Sonia.
1: Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so happy to have half of a couple cooks here and to hear more about you and your journey. You have been through quite a lot. And I feel like your story is going to resonate with so many people. I'm also so excited for the release of your cookbook. There's just a lot going on in your life. So, you know, I kind of know your backstory, but I would love if you could share with the listeners a bit more about who you are and how you and Alex launched A Couple Cooks.
1: Sure. So do you want the long version or the short version?
0: (laughs) I want the long version. I feel like we we can ride that roller coaster with you.
1: All right, let's do it. So, um, Alex and I met in college. We actually met the first day of freshman year. So, we were college sweethearts and we got married a couple years out of college and bought a house here in Indianapolis and decided we wanted to, you know, be real adults and start having people over for dinner. And we realized we did not know how to cook at all. Um, Alex was a little better than I was, but I, I couldn't even make pasta for myself. All I could do was microwave. <laughs> so I ate a lot of hot pockets and a uh, breakfast cereal. And he ate a lot of, he would make pasta for me so we could at least have one home cooked thing. But that was about the extent of where we were at when we got married and we decided, okay, we want to learn how to cook. So we, I actually asked my boss at the time, what is a a good cookbook that's fancy? We were going to have some people over for dinner, and I had decided that French food would be very fancy. And I said, what's a French cookbook? And she said, uh, Julia Child. And at the time, Julia and Julia wasn't out yet, and uh, I didn't know who Julia Child was. Um, But I picked up the cookbook and started reading the head notes and just became very inspired by this person who told me that I could learn how to cook, even though I was an adult. I didn't have to know since I was uh, very small. And she was super encouraging um, about the fact that I could make an omelet or anything that a Frenchman could make. I could make, too. And so uh, we made some recipes from that book and had some people over and they liked it. And so we got kind of hooked on cooking together. Um, So fast forward uh, a little bit. We started cooking all the time, um, getting lots of cookbooks, watching lots of cooking shows. And we got a hold of a book called Food Matters by Mark Bittman. And that book really inspired us about cooking all from scratch, eating more vegetables, um, just trying to really clean up our diet for our own health and for the health of the planet and for our communities. We were really inspired by that. So we started trying to eat more vegetarian meals. And this was back around twenty ten. So Um, It was very new at the time. No one in Indiana, there's still not a lot of people in Indiana who embrace the vegetables, but um, no one was doing it at the time that we knew. But we said, let's give it a try. And we found that we felt better and um, we loved it. It was fun. It was delicious. And so we decided we wanted to start a website to kind of share these recipes that we were eating And when I tell this story now, I say at the time, you know, people weren't eating quinoa. Um, Now everyone knows what quinoa is, but back then people didn't know. And so I was just excited about these new foods that I was eating and I started posting them online and we started sharing pictures of them. And this was 2010. So um, blogs were pretty new. Um, They'd been around for a while, but um, still pretty early in the evolution of blogs and Um, our photos were terrible, (laughs) our recipes were okay, but we were super excited. And so we just kept sharing and kept writing about these foods and these things we were learning about health and about the environment and sustainability and seasonal eating and, um, just kept doing it. So that was seven years ago and, um, we're still around today.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What I'm most curious about is how do you and Alex manage the workload of a blog together? So I know in my relationship, Kurt does not cook at all, at all, at all. And I'm kind of on my own there, which is fine. That's what works for us. But for you guys, does it ever feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen? Or do you kind of divide and conquer things?
1: We absolutely divide and conquer things. And that's one of the things we learned early on was that we were both kind of trying to do everything in the kitchen. So I'll give the example of cooking together. Um, we would both try to do the same things and butt heads. And so we realized we need to have defined roles and we need to work our strengths and so we decided we wanted to start for recipes. We would start having a chef and a sous chef for that particular recipe. So if I'm the chef, then I'm just running the recipe and tell Alex what to do. And then if he he's the chef, vice versa. Um, so we each get to kind of work our strengths and have one person in charge instead of having both of us in charge and trying to butt heads. So it's definitely a dance, um, but... Over time, we've learned how to figure out um, who has a strength like Alex can chop really fast. So usually we'll have him do that type of thing. And I'm a little better at kind of managing all the different tasks. So um, yeah, we, we definitely try to work our strengths. And that um, goes from the kitchen and then also goes into running our business.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm always so impressed by couples who work together. We actually had Deliciously Ella, Ella Mills on the show and her and her husband Matt worked together and I loved what she said about you know not providing the picture that things are perfect all the time but there is something really special about creating something with the person you love and I'm sure that that's something that you and Alex have experienced you know over the last seven years of growing A Couple Cooks.
1: Absolutely. I know from the outside, it can look like everything is picture perfect because those are the pictures that we choose to share. But um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on um, from the back end. And it's not all perfect. When you said that, it made me think of when we were shooting our cookbook. um, We did all the photographs together here in our kitchen and we got into some creative disagreement over the huevos rancheros. And I remember we were both just kind of in this argument and I might've had some tears, <laughs> um, over this photo and we, we finally ended up getting the photo right. But it's a good reminder that it, it is hard, especially when, um, when you're working on something creative with a spouse, because there's no right or wrong answer. It's just kind of a subjective opinion. Um, so it's hard to determine, okay, who gets to make this call?
0: Yeah. And I mean, you and Alex have been through a lot together over the last, you know, 10 or more years. And one of those things was getting a pretty startling diagnosis when you were in your 20s. Could you share a bit more about that experience?
1: Sure. I, when I was 27, I was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia, CML. Um, It was a complete surprise. I had no idea. Um, My only symptom was that I could feel kind of a hard spot on my left side um, under my ribs. And so I put off going to the doctor for many months because I hate going to the doctor. And um, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to get this checked out. And it ended up my spleen was enlarged with a very high white blood cell count, Um, But I I actually felt fine at the time. I had no idea. I felt like things were going great. Um, But I got a phone call from my doctor and he said, you have leukemia. Um, So it was uh, completely floored me. Um, But he followed that up with, we think it's the good kind of leukemia. And I said, what's the good kind? Um, And he said, CML actually has a miracle drug cure. Um, It's a pill. You just take it once a day and you don't have to do chemo or radiation. So we did some tests and found out it was indeed CML and I went on my medication and within months my white cell counts were down and within a few more months I was uh, back to being stable. So I do have to be on the medication for the rest of my life. Um, So it's not a full cure, but um, I today am living a happy, healthy life um, with this kind of miracle medication. That's
0: amazing. And I'm sure, you know, the, the diagnosis felt like it came out of nowhere. And I'm curious how that changed your perspective on health. Do you think, you know, it affected the diet choices that you make your relationship with Alex? Like there's a lot of, you know, especially when you're in a situation where thankfully there is, you know, this miracle drug, it still affects you mentally and it affects the choices that you make. And I'm wondering, you know, are there decisions that you make today that are rooted in this diagnosis or do you feel like it's just sort of, I take this pill and it's just not something that feels like it's a part of you?
1: That's a good question. I think, I think it's both options that you stated. I think that in some ways it did, it did change my, thought of kind of on mortality, I guess, in in my 20s. And I think a lot of people in their 20s just feel kind of invincible. And it definitely made me think uh, about my own mortality. Um, But at the same time, because of this miracle cure, I had always been given good news. So once I was diagnosed, it was like, here, here's a miracle cure, and um, your life will be able to be lived um, without anyone knowing without you even really knowing that, um, that this has happened. And so I think, um, it's a yes and no for me. Um, a lot of my decisions around the way I ate were going, going on around that time. And so I would say it was all kind of intermingled. Um, but I, I think because the cure for my cancer is, is such a miracle, um, I've luckily not had to think every day. I, I don't wake up and think about it, which is incredible and amazing. Um, and I think it has given me a huge respect for cancer research and the work that goes on there and the ability to be able to, to not be affected by my cancer diagnosis aside from my family planning, which maybe we'll get to later.
0: Yeah, actually, you made the segue for me. So (laughs) I know that, you know, taking this drug has had an effect on starting a family. And it's something that you and Alex have had to navigate through. So I would love if you could share a bit more about this experience, because I know that there are a lot of people who are struggling with fertility, and, you know, would find a lot of comfort in sort of your journey and and how things have turned out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The It was something that we weren't necessarily expecting, but we knew that with my cancer diagnosis, it might be a little more difficult to have children. Um, So when we went to start planning, my doctor, my hematologist, said, Okay, this medication that you're on, you cannot get pregnant on it because we're not sure of the medical effects on a baby. Um, But I will allow you to go off of the drug for a very short time and try to get pregnant. And this is something there's not a lot of research around it. There aren't many cases of women my age having CML and going off the medication. Uh, But they knew enough to know that sometimes the cancer comes back if you're off the meds and sometimes it doesn't. Um, So we were urged, okay, go off the medicine, get pregnant and have a baby really fast and then go right back on. And so we said, okay, we'll, we'll try that. (laughs) And, um, it ended up being a lot more difficult, um, than that, a lot more difficult than I expected. Um, we tried for several months and we weren't seeing any, any, uh, progress. And so, we were urged by the doctors to start some fertility treatments just to kind of speed things up because of our special circumstance. So we started doing some, um, low level fertility treatments. I ended up getting pregnant, um, four years ago now, um, almost a few months ago and, um, had a miscarriage, unfortunately, which was, incredibly devastating and devastating, not only because it was a miscarriage, but also I just kind of felt in my heart, I feel like this might be my last chance. This might have been the one chance that we had. And it ended up being a right superstition um, or feeling. Um, We started trying again and my cancer came back um, gradually. And Um, We ended up having to make the decision at one point that uh, we wouldn't try any further. And my doctor said that um, I would have to go back on my meds forever. So um, we, at that point, were making the chance that we would never be able to conceive naturally.
0: And how did you kind of navigate that, that realization? Because, you know, for many women who you know, have always felt that they wanted to have their own child and to be told that that's not a possibility in your future that has to be devastating. How did you kind of navigate that? Was that something that like you and Alex talked through together? Did you know, you know, we want to go the adoption route or were there other possible routes that you explored?
1: It was incredibly hard and it was probably one of my darkest points in my life. Um, I was actually on another medication to try to extend my period of trying to have a child as a, a cancer medication, a shot that was safe to get pregnant on. Um, but it really, um, drained me of my energy. It had flu length symptoms. And so not only was I in this very dark place emotionally, but it was also physically, I was, um, just kind of of half of myself. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was incredibly hard. And, you know, I, I growing up, I had always thought, okay, I'll be a mom someday. Uh, but I really focused a lot on career when I thought about my future, I said, I'm going to be a writer. I want to be a musician. Um, and I just figured, you know, the mom thing will also happen. Um, but being told That you will never be able to carry your own child. Um, It was something I didn't realize that I had just assumed (laughs) would be a part of my life. And it was really hard, um, especially knowing that so many of my dear girlfriends have been through this situation and I would never be able to know what that felt like or, or kind of compare notes. You know, there's a lot of um, chat among women of, you know, your pregnancy and that kind of thing. And I knew I'll I'll never be able to contribute to that conversation. Um, so that was really tough, but you know, I did have someone in my life say, uh, during that time say, you know, I know that it's really important to you to have a biological child. So X, Y, Z. And in that conversation, that was the first time I was like, no, that's not true. Like, I just want to be a mom and it doesn't matter if it's my biological child or not. It doesn't matter. Um, so from that point on, I realized, okay, I think that adoption might be a good route. Um, but I will say i never in a million years would have thought that we would have chosen adoption. It just wasn't something that I, saw for myself. I, I had known people who had that vision for their lives. And I think because I'd never thought about it, it was very surprising to me that that would be the path. So for quite a while, it, it did feel a little odd to say, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, since it had never been something that we had foreseen in our future.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of women out there, you know, have a vision of what motherhood will look like for them. And I'm not a mother myself, so I, I don't claim to to know what this feels like. But what advice would you have for women who are maybe struggling with fertility or have been told that they can't have a biological child and still want want to be a mother and are maybe, you know not at a place or just getting to a place of exploring what motherhood might look like when it isn't your biological child. Do you have any advice for them for kind of navigating that emotional state?
1: Yeah, that was a big challenge for us. I think the hardest part was this uncertainty of, you know, when you're able to get pregnant uh, biologically, it's very certain, okay, you want to have kids, you get pregnant, and it happens. And what was so hard about our situation was for years we were just in this limbo of uncertainty and that was it was really stressful um to to really not know how our family would start and I think I would encourage anyone out there who's in this place that um naming it was really helpful for me and a friend at the time told me this term called the liminal space and Do you know what that is? No, I don't. Okay. Um, It is, it's actually a term used in literature to describe the time where nothing's really happening in the plot. So it's like between two plot events, you'll have some liminal space um, where nothing's happening. And it's also used in psychology as a term for in our life when things are just kind of not happening. There's a lot of uncertainty of what's going to happen next. And for me, that was so helpful to just say, okay, there's a name for this space and it's called the liminal space and I'm in the liminal space and I don't know where my life is going, but that's okay. Um, so that was incredibly helpful for me in the same way. It was also helpful to just have friends and community members and Alex, um, just lifting us up and talking to us and, Um, just encouraging us during that time. I think it's easy to want to, um, draw inside yourself, which I think is, there's also time for that and it's good to have solitary time, especially if you're grieving some losses, um, that, that was really helpful for Alex and I to grieve alone, um, But in general, it was really helpful for us to have friends and family who were just checking in with us and engaging us and helping us through that time. And then I would just say have faith, um, depending on what your beliefs are, your spiritual beliefs, just have faith that there is a plan for your family. And um, Alex and I had that faith, but it was still it is still so difficult when you're on the other side and everything's uncertain to see that happy ending. Um, but our life now we have this happy ending. And so it's so interesting to be, to know that ending, um, our son Larson who we adopted, um, at birth and he's 10 months old now. Um, but just knowing that that was the end of this story and, and there is, there is an ending.
0: Yeah. And I know that your, your story, you know, went on for a couple of years after you made the decision to adopt it. It was a challenge for you guys. You know, eventually you were able to bring home baby Larson, who is the cutest baby in the entire world. I'm not kidding. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm sure, you know, it's one of those things where now that you're on the other side, it's so nice to to know that there was this happy ending, but not to make you relive it at all, but I would love if you could share a bit more about your adoption journey because I know you you hit quite a few bumps in the road.
1: We did. We had a lot of bumps. Um, we had three adoptions that didn't go through um, over the period of about a year, um, a little less than a year. Um, so that was, it was incredibly difficult. And I would say in the same way that a miscarriage is devastating, an adoption that falls through is devastating. Um, because you're matched with a birth mom, um, in our case, uh, two birth moms. And then we had a very special circumstance where we actually had a, a baby in our house, uh, for a week. Um, and I can explain more about that later if you'd like, but, um, you have this relationship with your birth mom and she's telling you like, I'm so happy that I chose you and here's the ultrasound pictures and what do you want to name the baby? And, um, you're in just very close contact. And so when something like that falls through, it is incredibly devastating because you had this baby in your heart, you know, you had this, this potential son or daughter that's suddenly, ripped away and I will say that um you know a lot of birth moms will change their mind and that is okay you know we could not be angry with these birth moms because when when that baby comes out and you fall in love with the baby I mean who is to fault someone who wants to mother their child so it's a really difficult circumstance because you're devastated but you can't you can't be angry or demonize um, what happened. Um, so we, yeah, we had three of those journeys. Um, the, the final one was a baby in our house for a week who, um, we thought that we were going to be able to adopt her and then we weren't able to. And so, um, ending with that, the third fall through just having, a baby in your house and then having her taken away. Um, by that point, we were just almost at our wits end of, is this even going to happen for us? Um, but luckily we were matched with another birth mom and that ended up being Larson's mom.
0: Yeah. I'm so happy that there's been such a a beautiful ending to your story. And I know, you know, this is, Definitely defines so much of of what your life has looked like in the last couple of years. uh, Meanwhile, while, you know, all of this is going on, you and Alex are running a couple cooks. And I've always wondered, you know, when you're dealing with such challenging personal struggle, how do you not let that affect your business? Or was it something that you, you know, you chose to separate or you decided to incorporate onto the blog? How did you kind of find that line?
1: It was really hard. And um, in one way, though having an outlet like a blog and um, in our cookbook, which we were actually writing at that time, um, it was really helpful for me. Uh, my personality is it it is pretty high energy. It needs things to <laughs> to keep itself busy, and so. Um, I really appreciated having our blog and our cookbook to work on so I could pour my creative energy into that outlet and not have to dwell as much on, on the personal things that were happening at the time, though I did try to give them the emotional energy that they needed. I also needed a distraction. Um, so that was really helpful. So in that way, um it was it was good to have those things going on at the same time and we also did try to incorporate some of our journey it's it's a it's a hard line when part of your business is your life and your personality and so we didn't want to hide what we were going through um but we also wanted to have have some privacy because Again, this is other people's lives as well. you know these this is the birth mom's' lives too and um, so that way it was a struggle to decide what to share and what not to share,
0: yeah, and I think that that's a struggle that you know anyone who's sharing their life on the internet, you know where to where to find that line about what to share. Wanting, you know, the community that you've built to understand what's happening in your life and be able to provide you with support and advice, but also, you know, needing to to process things on your own and, and not necessarily share, like, sharing all the details of your life on the internet. So I totally get that. But I, I would love to hear, you know, now that you've brought baby Larson home, like how has your life changed?
1: It is like 9 million times more fun. <laughs> <laughs> He is just an amazing baby in person and every day I'm just so excited to hang out with him. He it's funny because I think when you adopt you you wonder okay will this person like fit in in my family. Um but adopting um Larson as a baby like just right away it was like okay he's meant to be in our family he's meant to be here and um he's just he's so cool i he's he's like the coolest person i know um (laughs) so that has been so much fun um to watch him grow he is now 10 months old and he can he understands a lot um a lot of words he knows his first spanish word we're teaching him spanish And, um, it's just been amazing to see him grow. Um, and then, yeah, at the same time we're running a couple of cooks and we have this book coming out, um, on February 6th. And so that's kind of like another baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How Uh, are you, how are you balancing all of that?
1: It is very challenging. Um, (laughs) but I'm lucky to have an amazing partner. Alex is, um, Incredibly talented at getting things done. He's a genius with the technology and back end side of a couple cooks, and he develops recipes and he does photography and he changes diapers. (laughs) So I need um, to, I really need to get me one of those. Seriously. (laughs) You need an Alex. I need an Alex. I tell a lot of people they need an Alex. Um, but yeah, he is an incredible collaborator. And um, he is so just efficient and on top of getting things done that, um, yeah, we're able to somehow manage everything.
0: Yeah. And I mean, putting together a cookbook while – you know, at what point in in your journey of writing the cookbook did you get Larson?
1: So Larson was born – two weeks before our due date, uh, of the cookbook, <laughs> the cookbook due date. Okay. Um, so we brought home a newborn and we had a huge deadline to get this entire manuscript, a hundred recipes and a hundred photographs done. <laughs> so, uh, that was needless to say, that was pretty stressful, um, to have those colliding. Um, but for some reason I feel like there was this kind of just divine timing, of you know, working on the book that year while we were having all of these adoptions fall through and it kind of being my lifeline um, to kind of just stay sane and then it being the first draft being due right when Larson comes um, and then being able to release it right when Larson is turning one years old. So he actually turns one two weeks after our book comes out. Um, so it's been this really kind of crazy timing um, with all of it so we actually dedicated the book to him and there's a little picture of him on the front page and every time you see it I start crying
0: (laughs) oh that's so sweet and I'm so excited to check out the book myself I know that your philosophy on food is pretty simple food and I think that that's I I mean that seems pretty direct and to the point for me Uh, but I would love if you could kind of explain to people who are unfamiliar with your cooking like what is pretty simple food
1: Yeah, it actually is. It's hard to describe pretty simple food, even though it's pretty simple. (laughs) So uh, we decided on that book title, Pretty Simple Cooking, because um, we've found over the years that we've developed this philosophy um, for eating and for cooking. And it's not easy to do, but it's pretty simple. Once you change the way that you look at food and your lifestyle and you form new healthy habits. And so a lot of, of the knowledge that we've gained over the past 10 years of cooking together have all been very kind of simple life lessons. And that's what we chose to share in the book. We distilled it down to 10 lessons And all of them just have to do with the way that you approach your life and then the way you approach food. Um, So so an example of one of them is just gather together, involve your friends and family. Not only does it make it more fun, it makes it your entertainment, it fits it into your lifestyle um, so that you're not carving out all these separate buckets of time. You're cooking together with your friends and family um, so it's not an isolating process. Um, another one is learning how to deal with failure. That was a big one for me when I started cooking. I'm the personality that likes to get things right the first time. And um, when I got in the kitchen, I failed all the time. And so learning how to deal with that and how to deal with a recipe that you make that you didn't like or something you do wrong, being able to be think on your feet and be creative and um, get past that, you know, have the grit to kind of get past that failure and try again tomorrow. Um, things like that are what we have found are the keys to making a sustainable practice of healthy cooking in your life. And I know it's how it could sound like that's too simple, right? But those are the mantras that have helped us over the past 10 years. And, us being here today is proof that we have been able to do it over the long term. It's not something that we try for one month or we tried for, you know, one year. It's something that really stuck. And a lot of that was due to just these different life lessons and mantras that we learned along the way.
0: Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of people can really resonate with that because I know in my life, my friend's who are not, you know, they, they're just not the most confident cooks. They they try, but they just feel like they're not good at it and it just deters them from practicing more often. And honestly, I really think it's it's more of a practice than anything. And really just developing confidence in the kitchen where when things don't go according to plan, because very rarely do they go according to plan in the kitchen, mm-hmm. <laughs> having, you know, having the ability to say, that's okay, I'm gonna make this change and it will you know it will become this and i think you know there's what i've come to learn is that there's sort of there's there's a couple different cooks but some are you know they love winging it they're excited about experimentation they're not too concerned with you know whether the outcome is going to be perfect and then there are other people who follow a recipe diligently and you know they discover halfway through they're missing an ingredient or they left the the oven on too high or something like that and they feel like everything is ruined and they they aren't able to necessarily take a step back and realize that okay this isn't the end of the world like here are some things that I can do to sort of fix or just you know manipulate and and change the results and it can still be delicious it's just a matter of feeling like you have control in the kitchen and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't and you just have to you know have these mantras in place or just these these practices in place that really help you just develop your confidence and know that it's going to be okay because I know there are a lot of people who are perfectionists who really struggle with cooking because there there is an unpredictability to it.
1: Yes, I could not agree more. And I think that you can change from one cook to another because that was how I was when I started out. I was that cook who followed all the rules and would just kind of have a panic attack if something happened that I wasn't expecting. And now I I wouldn't say that I'm a a perfect cook by any means, but I think when something goes wrong, I immediately think, okay, how can I how can I solve this in a in a quick and easy manner? How can I troubleshoot it? Uh, What can I do? It might not be perfect, but I will get past this roadblock. And I think that's something I didn't realize that there's so much kind of thinking on your feet when you're in the kitchen. I thought it would be, you know, you follow these rules and then and then you'll get this beautiful food. But there's so much to cooking that is um, just responding in the moment to different variables that change. I think that can be scary to people. It was scary to me. Um, But I think when I just let go of that thought of perfection, I was able to start cooking. And I'm still not perfect. I mean, this Thanksgiving... Uh, we were making a souffle for our meal and I was whisking it and it totally overheated and curdled and it looked like I had vomited in the pan. It was (laughs) disgusting. Um, And I freaked out a little bit and then Alex was like, okay, let's, let's just make it again. I actually have extra ingredients on hand. And so we made it again and it turned out And that's after, you know, years of cooking. So (laughs) there's always room for failure, um, but it's how you respond to that failure um, that in the end is what type of cook you are.
0: Totally. And I think that's what makes you guys relatable is the fact that, you know, you do still struggle. You're not, you know, using all these crazy techniques that are just not feasible for a lot of people. You're, you know, you're quote unquote, the average cook who can needs to make meals for their family. And that's something that I know a lot of people struggle with on a daily basis. So I'm really excited to check out the cookbook. I know it's 100 recipes all have pictures, which is incredible. Yes. And you guys, <laughs> and you did it all on your own, right?
1: We did. Yeah, we were very passionate about having a photograph for every recipe because I've always said, I'm not going to make it if I don't see a picture there. Now, looking back, I understand why cookbooks don't have a picture for every recipe, because it is a lot of work to shoot one picture for every recipe. It's expensive to print. um, So I see why some cookbooks don't have that. But for ours, we really wanted to show that visual representation of what the dish looks like, because we think it's so important for just being able to conceive of a recipe
0: Definitely. And the fact that you guys shot it yourself is a huge deal. I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with this, but a lot of, you know, chefs or just home cooks or people who are putting out their own cookbooks don't actually shoot it themselves. And so that is a huge undertaking. And I'm just, I mean, I already know that your photos are beautiful. So I'm, I'm not at all surprised that you're shooting it yourself. You definitely have the ability to do it. It's just a huge, huge, you know, boatload of work to do. So I'm, I'm very impressed.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, it was pretty insane. We had a lot of food for a long time in our freezer and our refrigerator coming out of our ears. Um, But it was a lot of fun to shoot as well. And just to be able to put that personal touch onto it was really important for us.
0: Definitely. So before we jump into the hot seat questions, I'd love if you could share where people can find your cookbook.
1: Sure, it's on Amazon and all other online retailers if you just search for pretty simple cooking, or you can go to our website. It's a couplecooks.com and click the cookbook tab at the top.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's jump into the hot seat questions if you're ready for them.
1: Sure, I'm nervous.
0: Oh no, you'll be fine. <laughs> so the first the first question is what's the one health habit you can't live without?
1: All right, maybe this is a little boring, but home cooking <laughs> cooking every day with my spouse i mean i feel like for us we've just created this lifestyle around making our own food and so instead of takeout we reach for um a quesadilla even or a salad or um a burrito bowl or whatever it's just it's become second nature to make our own food and i think that's been incredibly helpful for us in our long-term health is being able to prepare our own food know what goes into it and do it simply so we don't have to think about it
0: totally and i think that there's also the aspect of you know doing it as a family and you know having it be this collaborative process sitting down to a meal and enjoying other people's company like there's so much more to a home cooked meal than just the food itself so i actually think that it's in a, it's one of the best healthy habits that people can incorporate
1: I cannot agree more.
0: So the next question is, is there a business or a business person who you look up to?
1: So many people. um, Let me think. I'm trying to think of one offhand. I mean, I think what comes to mind first, this is silly, but Julia Child, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, um, she was like the woman, you know, back then she kind of invented cooking shows And she was so passionate about helping people learn how to cook. Um, And she, I mean, she created this entire genre of being a cookbook author and a food personality. Um, So she is a huge inspiration to us.
0: Definitely. And I would tell, you know, anyone who's listening who's eager to learn more about Julia Child, definitely read her biography. It's amazing. And you learn so much more about her and how she changed the food industry and home cooking. So I I think that that's, you know, an amazing person to look up to.
1: I will also say I just saw a Bon Appetit article of her um, showing a picture of her in a tube top looking oh. all sexy. Yeah, you have to check this out. I'll send I mean, it to you. Please do. Um, That's but amazing. Beautiful, beautiful, like black and white photos of her looking all stylish.
0: Amazing. So the next question is what advice would you have for your 20-year-old self?
1: So many things. Um, I would say don't sweat the small stuff was the first thing I thought of. Um I think I just cared a lot about what we've been talking about, you know, like making things perfect, getting things right, um choosing, you know, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um and I think I would say from this vantage point, um don't be afraid to try new things and fail at them. Um that has kind of been our entire journey of both cooking and just in business. Um, just try things, take risks, um, and don't care so much about all the the little things, you know, think about the longer arc of your life and, and your legacy. Like how do you want to be known and what type of person do you want to be known as? Yeah.
0: Wow. I could not have said that better myself. I feel like you encapsulated everything I wish I could tell my 20-year-old self. So that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, And my last question is, what advice do you hope to get from your older self? Like, what do you hope that she can tell you you've you've figured out?
1: Wow. I'm fascinated by the idea of like previous selves and talking to myself in different decades, by the way. Um, Let's see. What would I want to know? I think I would want to understand from my older self of how to slow down. Um, I have a hard time kind of taking life uh, slowly and not being impatient, um, that I've gotten a lot better about that in my thirties. But I think just understanding how to, to run the marathon and not the sprint, has been something I've been working on. And so I think that my older self would probably know a lot more about that as well.
0: Yeah, I hope my older self told me I figured out how to, how to slow down and savor life a little bit more and not feel like, you know, I have to check off every single thing on my to-do list, that sometimes it's more about the journey and not the destination.
1: Exactly. And I would like to know how many robots are like running the world. <laughs> Amazing. (laughs) Do we have jobs in the future or do the robots just do everything? Yeah, the
0: robots just replace all the blogs. (laughs) I mean, in many ways, that's already relevant. So many bots, so many bots. It's true.
1: And it's so crazy we have these Google Home things all over our house. Because Alex is really into technology. And Larson just loves when we say, Okay, Google, do this, do that. And so it's just so crazy to think about kids growing up yeah. and just shouting things out into a room to learn answers or do things, turn on music. Uh, so it's it's really fascinating to me to see what what will his generation be like.
0: Well, this is something that Kurt and I actually talk about a lot about how, you know, in the future once we decide to have a family, like, are our kids going to be like, you know, hey, Siri, what's the answer to this? You know, rather than asking us a million questions, we'll just be like, I don't know, ask Siri. <laughs> right.
1: You can't just, just like, outsource yeah, you can't just make
0: up answers to, to things that anymore, you know, things that you don't actually know the answers to, Siri exactly. will tell you. Too funny. So, if people want to learn more about you and Alex and a couple cooks, where can they find out more info about you?
1: They can go to our website. It's a couplecooks.com. There's no of. People like to add an of sometimes, just a couplecooks.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram. We're at a couple cooks.
0: And you also have a podcast.
1: Oh, we do have a podcast. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me. No problem. Um, We have a podcast that's also called A Couple Cooks. So you can search for A Couple Cooks in your podcast app or on iTunes.
0: Awesome. Well, I highly encourage everyone to go out, support you guys, buy your cookbook. I'm so excited to check it out. What you guys have have built is so beautiful and just so accessible for so many people. And I know that your journey has been so inspiring to – many, many, many people who are struggling with fertility or starting a family. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to share more about this with me. I know it's a sensitive topic and I really appreciate your openness and just willingness to, to share more.
1: Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Huge thanks to Sonia for coming on the show today. I hope you guys are inspired by her story and pull some strength from it. I know that I am. And go out and support her and Alex and buy their cookbook. It comes out next week so you can pre-order it, be one of the first people to get it. I have seen some previews of it and it is absolutely beautiful. So Definitely, definitely check that out. I know it's definitely my style of eating, so I'm really excited to dig in and stay tuned on the blog because I have a feeling some recipes from the book may end up on there. So hang around for that. And also just a couple of notes, so if you haven't left a review of the podcast, I would be so, so happy if you did that. I know I say it every week, but it really does mean the world and it helps us get incredible guests like Sonia on the show. It just gets their attention because they see those comments from you guys, so if you want to leave a comment on iTunes, that would be so, so meaningful. Otherwise, share with your friends, post about it on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you, you know, share moments of your life and let me know where you're listening to the podcast because that always warms my heart to see you guys listening to it and how you've been able to listen to That's So Maven while going through your life. So I know a lot of you listen to it while you're commuting or while you're on a walk and just taking some time away from your life. So I so, so appreciate hearing from you guys and when you enjoy it. So That also means the world to me when you do that. And if you haven't joined the THM Tribe already, it would be amazing to have you there. Like I mentioned in the intro, that is the place where kind of the first information comes out. Those are my people and I feel like I owe it to you guys to keep you up to date about what's going on there. So definitely join the THM Tribe if you haven't already. It's just facebook.com slash group slash THM Tribe and I would love to have you. And as for next week's episode, we have the amazing Susanna Frioni on the show, and we're gonna be talking about relationships, we're gonna be talking about sexuality, We're going to be talking about everything, to be honest. And a couple of months ago, I had a request for a relationship expert on the podcast, and that was in the THM tribe. So I listened to you guys, and I'm so, so happy to have Susanna on the show next week. So definitely stay tuned for that episode. And until then, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and hug someone you love because it would just mean the world to me, and you just never know. So love you guys. I'll talk to you soon.